Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 338. With that number, we'll give a shout out to the Portland Thorns. They led all NWSL clubs last regular season in shots with 338 taken over 23 regular season games. Of course, that number would have been higher if they had played uh, the 24th game against Washington. That was the September match that ended up being forfeited by the spirit. So Portland are our shot leader for 2021 regular season. Right. Two chats in this episode. First, I spoke with NWL analyst and co-host of the attacking third podcast for CBS sports. That is none other than Lisa Roman. She'll be on the call for several Challenge Cup games coming up. So, of course, we had to talk Challenge Cup and also the new NWL commissioner, Jessica Berman, named this past week. And then my second chat was with my buddy Anna D'Souza, formerly of the Football Ace podcast and also formerly of CONCACAF. We chatted about the top teams in February CONCACAF W qualifying, namely Mexico, Jamaica, Costa Rica, sorry, Costa Rica, Also, we spoke a little bit about Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. And of course, between the two chats, we have the Jen's Blainer segment. This episode talks about how to watch and how to follow the 2022 Challenge Cup. All right. Enjoy this episode. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone, M-I-X-X-E-D-Zone, and at KeeperNotes. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Lisa Roman, NABCL broadcaster, and also co-host of CBS Sports Soccer podcast, The Attacking Third. Lisa, NABCL, the 10th season, slowly creeping into our calendars. So that means, I mean, like, we're hitting this level of history we've never hit with women's soccer in this country. And it makes me think, oh my God, 10 years ago, where were we 10 years ago? Spring 2012, I'm trying to think, what was I doing spring 2012? I was doing something with the Dynamo as they were about to open their stadium. What were you doing spring 2012? Spring 2012, 10 years ago, let's see, I was in high school, and junior in high school is the spring season, so I was a lacrosse player in the spring for my high school, playing club soccer as well, playing a lot of different sports at that point, uh, but, you know, not really prepared for the NWSL and not really prepared for my role in the league and covering the league, but it's crazy to think <laughs> 10 years, 10 years, Jen. That's crazy. Were, were, were you even aware at that time that the WPS had just folded? And, no, no. And then no. that, like, if yeah. we go, if we not go back to spring 2012, like 2012 is the last calendar year where there was no first division women's soccer league, you know, fully professional women's soccer league in this country. It was, end of that year that the then president of U.S. soccer, Sunil Gulati, was like, hey, we got to put something together. We need to have a league for our national teamers. Um, so it'll actually be, you know, fall 2012 is when a lot of the clubs can say, hey, this is when we were founded, right? But I just mm-hmm. love that, that we're, you know, getting into this this 10th season um, I, for I the know. first yeah, time. Yeah, I wasn't even... Ten years ago, I wasn't even aware of that. And then, uh, ironically, you flash forward to a year after that in the spring of 2013. That's when I started playing in the WPSL to oh, wow. prepare for going to college. Yes, but it wasn't 
I mean, no, that was is kind of focused on the college career and things at that point. But yeah, we're here, tenth season. Let's do it. Tenth year. Let's be real. It's the tenth year. Yeah. Twenty twenty is. We're gonna see the debut finally of Angel City and San Diego mm-hmm. Wave. So we'll be up to twelve teams. We have never previously had a women's pro league with more than ten. You know, we've had a couple of end of yourself seasons off and on where we had 10 teams, you know, um, and now we'll be at 12, which is awesome. Um, good to see women's soccer back in Southern California. We have not had, get this, a women's soccer team pro, fully pro, women's soccer team in Southern California since 2009 when you had the LA Soul playing at Home Depot Center where you had Marta, um, mm-hmm. Ali Wagner, Brittany Bach, I think Shannon Box was on that team. Um, lots of good names there. They, you know, of course they dominated the whole regular season and then lost in the final to Sky Blue. But it's just like I, I started as as I'm preparing all my notes for the season. I was like, oh my god, there hasn't been a game, a women's professional game in San Diego since the final game of the WSA, the 2003 championship game. Like, like it's just so long ago. Right. You know, and San Diego wave is going to play at the same venue that the San Diego spirit did back in 2003 Torero stadium on the, the USD campus. So it's, it's like, Oh, I love it. It's just all coming full circle. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's Um, pretty cool. I think everyone is so pumped to have these teams in in Southern California and me frankly, to have California teams and then to have them in Southern California. I think the support from locals in the communities and and people that are from California are hype about it because it's a big deal. I mean, the league is expanding and I I mean, it's huge. Soccer is coming back to Southern California and to San Diego, like you said. And a rivalry, like a built-in rivalry, much like we've seen with, you know, Portland and, and the rain, you know, even, even Washington and Gotham where you're close enough that it's an easy drive for fans, right? But not so close mm-hmm. that you're kind of splitting the, the fan base. Um, and, I, and I love that now with these 12 teams, it makes for a really natural division as we go into Challenge Cup, you know, which will kick off the season. Um, three groups of four teams each, right? So it's, 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 it's a format we're very familiar with when you think of World Cup or Euro or, you know, any qualifying tournament, just, you know... Mm-hmm. And any rec tournament you've played for soccer, right? You're in a group of four, you play everybody in your group, and then, you know, <laughs> the winner of the group goes on. Um, so we have, you know, three groups of four, the three group winners plus the best performing second place team. Those will be the semifinalists for Challenge Cup. And then, of course, you know, the final. And, uh, you know, a geographic division, which totally makes sense. We've got West Coast, Central, East Coast. So, you know, you're going to be calling some of those games. I'm going to be calling some of those games. Are, are there any of those matchups that you're, that you're really looking forward to, regardless of whether or not you're calling the game, but, you know, for, for the mm-hmm. Challenge Cup 2022? Yes. I mean, I'm excited to see the expansion sides, right? Like, they're both Angel City and San Diego are in the same division. 
um, which I think is good to see them against each other and to have the two expansion sides in the same group. However, they're also with O.L. Reign and Portland Thorns, two powerhouses in the NWSL and consistent <laughs> powerhouses. So it's almost like a one-two punch if, if you're San Diego and you have O.L. Reign and then Portland Thorns. But I think those are the matchups that I am definitely circling on my calendar and heed in to watch. And also the East, the East region, because it has Gotham FC, North Carolina, Orlando Pride, and Washington Spirit. I want to see what Washington Spirit can pull out because reigning NWSL 2021 champions, the returning majority of their, their roster from last year that, right. that they had as starters. They're returning so many players. Of course, midfielder Tori Huster is still recovering from her injury, but they have Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, Sanchez, Andy Silva. Like they have the core group of their team. So is it the same? Are we going to see the same? Are we going to see something a little different now that head coach Chris Ward has had more time with the spirit, more time to develop them that 11 of the players were gone during chunks of the preseason for international duty. I mean, that's another right. thing. The, the individuals are so good. There so many of them are on the United States women's national team that is almost good, especially for the younger players that they get the cohesiveness of playing with uh, their teammates at club level at Washington Spirit, and then also with the national team and helps them develop and grow and learn tendencies of their teammates. So I, I'm excited to watch Washington Spirit. Honestly, I am. What about you, Jen? Is there a certain game that you're hype about? There's not one particular game that I'm hype about so much as I feel like there's so many teams that are going to be completely different from who they were in 2021 that I I don't know what to expect, mm-hmm. right? Like Orlando is going to be completely different. Even OL Rain, who I'm not going to take that powerhouse tag away from, they're going to be completely different because a lot of the big names that carried them in 2021 were just on loan, Right. Uh, Le Samer, Marochon, et cetera. Um, and then they've made a lot of trades too. So I think we're finally going to get to see some of the young talent on the reign, you know, like, like Ali Watts um, and Sierra King get more time that we, you know, barely got to see last year. Um, Louisville is going to be completely different. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Kansas city is going to yeah. be completely different. Um, so it, yeah, it's like it's not one matchup so much as I can't wait to meet these new teams. But put it put it that way, like who is the the new Kansas City and and the new Gotham? With you know they they picked up Ali Krieger and Al, uh, Ashlyn Harris. They picked up Michelle Betos, um, North Carolina, right? Like in my head, my default is always you know you're just thinking in your head, yeah, box midfield, Dabinia Mewis done. It's like nope, not Mewis, nope. <laughs> Not done, you know. Um, not it, Williams. Yeah, yeah, not McDonald. Lynn Williams um, is gone. Yeah, so there's it, – it's almost like a clean slate. It's not a totally clean slate, but it, it, it's close to a clean slate. And And I know there's always the discussion about, you know, some teams treat Challenge Cup like preseason and some don't and should it be preseason and yada, yada. And, you know, we don't need to get into that, but it's like, I do like that we've got this for this particular year, that we've got this introduction um, to the teams before it counts on their regular season standings, if that makes any sense. 
Yes, because so many of these clubs are not really doing preseason scrimmages leading up to the Challenge Cup. Um, some of them are, but it's kind of a good precursor for the long regular season that is to come where everything matters and everything is on the line. And it's a big World Cup qualifying year, so they'll be missing a lot of players. There's just a lot of different factors that come into it. And as you mentioned, there are so many changes. Almost every single club except Washington Spirit looks new or different, um, which is the craziest thing. So this Challenge Cup is a chance for them to play other competition in the league, but also the same competition, which I think could help because in your regional group, you're going to play against each team twice, which gives you an advantage as playing against your opponents and scouting them, but also to kind of establish yourself and establish what you are going to do as a team, what formation, what tendencies you're going to have, how you're going to look to attack, whether it's down the middle, over the top, around the sides, down the flanks, which is a benefit. So I, I am excited about the Challenge Cup, despite the whole yada yada, as you said, is it a preseason? <laughs> are the teams going to bring out their strong starting 11? I mean, I think it would be beneficial for coaches to – mix things up during the Challenge Cup, frankly, because as I mentioned, it's a World Cup qualifying year, so there will be players that will be missing and they are going to need to have a deep bench. And that starts with the Challenge Cup, right? If you can get a good rotation in of different players seeing different allotments of minutes and even different areas on the pitch, it'll benefit you in the long run. It's a long game. (laughs) The NWSL is a long game. Yeah, and, and I like that you know you're bringing up the season as a whole because um, you know July we've got Concacaf World Cup qualifying, South America World yep. Cup qualifying, um, Oceania World Cup qualifying. You also have the Women's Euro, so you know some of European players will be gone. Um, so we know there's that window in the middle, similar to last year, where you've got a chunk of, of players gone. However, unlike last year for the Challenge Cup schedule they're not playing through the april international window and i really appreciate Mm -hmm. that that you don't have um what i kind of felt was an imbalance last year especially when they had two groups of five which mean that you know not not every team played every every game date um you know there were some teams that got to play three of their four games with their all their internationals back and some teams only had two games with their internationals back. Right. So there was like kind of imbalance where here, like, okay, we're not playing during the international window. So everybody has all of their players available. Right. It's like, it makes it Mm -hmm. a more kind of balanced thing. And also like you're saying, it's like you've, you've got more opportunity for rotating, you know, through your, through your lineup. Um, You know, I, I also, you know, we, we have to bring up that it's it's still a pretty long year, um, you know, when you're starting preseason February 2nd, but it won't last as long as last year because, let's see, our, yeah, our championship game will be the final weekend of October, you know, so it won't quite be the haul that it was last year, but it's still a pretty long season. Um, and I do like that for the first time ever, for the regular season, it is a truly balanced regular season by that. And by that meaning you play every opponent twice, once home and once away. The closest we've had to that previously was 2014 
we had nine teams for the first time. You played everybody three times. So you played everybody the same number of times, but there was an imbalance of, you know, whether you had it at home or away that, that, that third game. And I've been meaning to do this, but I just I don't really have the time in this. I mean, this is totally just an indulgent kind of, kind of stat check, but like, you know, I was like, I kind of wanted to go through last year's standings and Hey, if you only played everybody twice, you know, if you threw out the third, if you threw throughout the third game, right? Because it, it's something we didn't really talk about last year too, of, of like who are your extra games against, right? When you have ten teams playing twenty four games, you know, if you play everybody twice, that's eighteen games, right? So you need six more games to to fill out that schedule. So, you know, I, I mean, I know Portland and and the Rain have made a case in the past that you know, obviously they're going to play each other extra times. It's like but they've both been so competitive over the years that in a way that's a disadvantage to them both. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or you, or you flip it around to go way back to 2016 when they only did this once where they did. So you played everybody once home and away. And then there was just one other team that you played two extra times. So they were trying to do like geographic pairs, which, which made sense, yeah, right. For, for, yeah. for Portland and rain and makes sense for, for Washington and Gotham. It was kind of weird that, Houston and Orlando became um, a, a geographic pair, but it also meant that Boston and Western New York Flash were paired together. So Western New York Ooh. Flash got four games against a team that was struggling so much, right? So there's, you know, there were people that believed then it's like, hey, you know, the Flash probably wouldn't have made the playoffs had it not been for they had the advantage of playing Boston four times and everybody else. Yeah, because then, then you're just racking up the wins. Yeah, yeah, you're just racking up the wins at that point. I would, um, Jen, in all of your free time that you have, because I know you're just <laughs> swimming in free time, that would be great if you could just stat test that from last year, see which team played two of those additional, what you said, six games. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Like that's a lot of extra time. I mean, think if you're a team that's right on the bubble. I mean, North Carolina, let's say for example, or Houston, right? That didn't even make the playoffs in 2021. Yeah, you're right on the bubble, and your last few games end up being like Washington Spirit, Portland, OL Rain. You're like, okay, right. you were the top three finishers. Like, no wonder when. I love Kansas City, but like they could have had two against Kansas City. And like geographically, that would have worked out great for Houston. So that's an interesting disadvantage that I think a lot of people overlook. And it's more just like, oh, great, it's balanced this year. But yeah, it's balanced in so much more than just home and away. But like the competition you're facing, the number of matches you're playing, the, the difficulty, the intensity, the level of these matches. And I also think like the, the scheduling in terms of, I mean, I know this, this is a side thing to, to competition, but that, you know, it's like, oh, here's the game where an Orlando's coming. Here's the game, you know, if I'm thinking from a Houston fan perspective, here's the game where Portland's coming. And it's not this weird schedule. Like, I think, yeah, it was after the 2019 World Cup. Houston hosted Sky Blue twice in three games. Like, what? Why? <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, we just saw them. Why are they here again? Right. You know, like, like, so it's, it's getting to a more kind of natural, traditional, you see everybody once on the road, you see everybody once at home, you know, and just, and, and it's funny that when I think about it, that we didn't really discuss, discuss much last year, the imbalance of the schedule, but you know, the more I think about it, it's like, that's going to be key 
And it also says to me that we were just so used to never having a balanced schedule, right? Because just, Hey, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do when you have the number of teams. And obviously you don't want to do an 18 game season. You want to have more games. So what, one of the other things I think is interesting about this season is it's a 22 game regular season, right? There's still same number of games being played total by team because challenge cups a little bigger, right? But 22 games instead of 24 games, right? Th- th- again, that's that's the other thing that made me think, I wonder what it would have been like last year where that's two fewer games for you to earn points, yeah. right? That's, that's going to be, we haven't had a 22 game season since the first season of NWSL. Um, yeah. So yeah. That, that's, and that, that plays into the fact that you have to start out winning games, which makes the Challenge Cup that much more important because you can't take the first two or three weeks of the regular season to kind of get your footing and establish yourself and, and then start on your path of of winning. You have to do that from the very, very, very first game in the regular season to win those three points or at least one. That way it doesn't bite you at the end of the season, because we saw that in 2021, there were so many teams that could have made the playoffs, but it it wasn't up to them at the end of it because they didn't rack up enough points early on, which of course is so much easier said than done as broadcasters. We need to sit here and say, yeah, win the games, at least get a tie. So you rack up points, but (laughs) it's a lot harder when you're actually out there doing it. I am aware of that, but it, it makes every single game count when you don't have as many to get the points. And, you know, we, we say it on air a lot and, and I, and I feel cliche whenever I say it, cause it is a cliche, but it's like every point matters and, you know, um, but it does like, you know, when you get to the end of the season and you see a team miss the playoffs by one or two points and you think, Oh, well, if only this game, this had happened. Right. Or, you know, that draw could have been a win. Or I think back to poor Chicago in, in 2014, the second season of the league, they missed the playoffs on goal differential. You know, Oof. yeah. Um, you know, or the very first season where you had three teams tied for first with the same number of points. So it went to goal differential to decide for second and third seed, right? Like, yeah, every every point matters and even every goal matters, right? So like, even if you're <laughs> losing, you still want to push for that goal because I, I that could four months from now be a tiebreaker. Yeah. So exactly. So. And, and you want to make sure you get the clean sheets defensively because it's, it all comes down to goal differential. Even if you're yeah. three, nothing or, or four, nothing, you want to keep that clean sheet for goal differential. Totally. Totally. Um, so let's, let's switch our topic now, Lisa, to the big news from this week is we finally have a new non-interim commissioner, um, Jessica Berman announced yesterday on CBS Morning News as the new commissioner. Um, I'm really excited by her res- resume. Clearly someone who's been longtime sports executive, both in hockey and lacrosse. Um, I, I, I love someone coming out of lacrosse where it's like they're going to understand what it's like to fight for whatever attention they, you know, totally need. Right. Um someone who seems very sporty herself, um, young, but not too young, if that makes sense. 
mm-hmm. you know, so like clearly experience, but still like I, I can see a lot of players kind of connecting to her. Um, and of course, you know, we, we heard, we got the list of the players that were um, part of the committee, uh, you know, that were interviewing finalists. And, you know, this is the first time ever that players got to have a, a say in that. But what were your thoughts, um, you know, when you heard the announcement about Lisa Berman becoming uh, the latest NHL commissioner? Yeah, Jessica Berman, it was um, a name that I wasn't familiar with when I first heard it, which is fine. I'm not really plugged into the NLL world uh, or, yeah, the national lacrosse world. But um, I, after I kind of looked over her resume and looked over where she had been, what she had done, I was pleased that she was coming from a sports background um, because it just helps, right? Like just to have the knowledge, to be around the players, to understand that. And then her experience with the NHL, I think is really, really crucial because she's been with an organization that has money, that has resources, that has the respect, Mm. that has a fan base, that has those things. So she knew how to make those decisions there that are tough decisions to make when you have a large company and a large organization, but also she had the resources to do what she needed at at NHL. And then also being with the National Lacrosse League, um, which as Jessica Berman called it, a challenger league, meaning that it's still trying to gain footing. It's still, still trying to establish themselves. It's still growing, having expansion teams coming in what hopes to be every few years to continue to grow and expand. Uh, that doesn't have a budget like the NHL uh, that is still looking for sponsorship and ownership and people with good financial stability to come in and support the league. So she has both of those past experiences to kind of lean on as she heads into the NWSL. And it's also, I mean, anyone that was aware uh, last year knew all of the turmoil that the league went through, that the NWSL went through, through allegations and accusations and, and coaching scandals and ownership battles and anything that happened. And to still say, I, I want to change this. I know how to change this. I can fix this. I can make this better. That, that means they're up for a challenge. It means that you already have an idea of what you want to do to change it. So that, so you asked me my initial reaction. I didn't know who she was. And then I was like, okay, this could work. Let's see, see how it goes. And then I had the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Berman after this was announced on Wednesday, uh, March 9th. And interviewing her and asking her questions um, on Attacking Thirds. You can go listen to that or watch that on YouTube as well. And talking to her about how she was going to establish conversation and a relationship with the players, because that was something that the players were fighting for last year, transparency between the league and the players and the fans and, and open lines of communication and making sure their voices were heard. So I asked her, how are you going to do that? And one thing that she did with the National Lacrosse League is host weekly meetings or conversations with the players to kind of check in see how they're doing sometimes they lasted five minutes sometimes they were over an hour and they had a lot to discuss but it was just making herself available she also said they know how to get in touch in touch with me quote my door is always open virtual door they can text me they can call me they can walk up to me if they see me uh, in an offices or at a stadium like i am fully available to the players which to me as as a 
media covering this league and as a fan of the NWSL, I like to hear that for the players' sake, right? We want to make sure they are heard and that they are safe. Um, So that also helps. I mean, kind of as the day went on on Wednesday and I learned more about her and I got to talk to her and I talked to players about her, I felt so much more positive about the the long-term impact that she could have on this league. Because, of course, there's this honeymoon phase where it's like, yes, we got someone new. We actually have someone. It's not an intern position. Uh, they can make all the changes. But it's a lot harder than it seems. Uh, so those were some really big points that I liked about what she said. And she also has a really big emphasis on mental health. Growing up, her mother was a psychologist. She said to us that she's been going to therapy her whole life. And it is such an important part of not just an athlete's health, but everyone's health is mental health. And that's a big priority for her. So there were a few like bells that went off in my head while I was interviewing her that I was like, okay, I like this. I can, I can get behind this. I can do this. And it makes me feel better that the players were involved in choosing her. Right. (laughs) That's huge. And the, looking at the list of um, owners on the search committee or rather people from the board of governors, like a good mix of people there, a really great mix of players in terms of um, young and old, right? Like Mm -hmm. you had Kaylee Collins, you know, who just started last year with Orlando pride. And on the other end, you've got Nicole Barnhart, right. Who, you know, played in WPS. So has seen everything, you know, like, I, I I think that's that's so great, and I love reading everything I've read so far about Jessica Berman. Where it's, it's like her statements aren't generic, right? They they seem very informed, very specific. You know, she's clearly been been paying attention. Um, and and I'm like, okay, can we start already? Right? Like, it, it's easy to <laughs> skim over the line where it says she starts April 20th, right? So we've got five weeks till that. And, you know, I like that they are keeping Marla messing on until the end of May. Right. So you've got some overlap. There's, you know, no reason to just, you know, start from scratch, like, you know, use, use that person as you can. And, you know, and I can't imagine what a weird ride it's been for Marla messing, right. Where you're kind of like thrown into this (laughs) cauldron and like, Hey, just, you know, we just kind of need someone here. And, and that's tough when, when you've got that interim tag, it's not like you can say, okay, we're now going to do everything like this, right? Like, so we've been on pause in a sense since Lisa Baird's departure because you haven't had a commissioner that can say, okay, I know we've, already, we've always done it like this in the past, but we can't do it like that anymore. Or here's this new thing I want to introduce, right? Like you don't have the power necessarily is an interim to do that where obviously Jessica Berman is going to be empowered to make a lot of changes. And we all know from following this league, as long as we have that, it's like, you, you can't make changes overnight. Right. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think and that's back what to, made Marla Messing's job so difficult is that exactly. you just had to put out the fires or at least make the flames smaller yeah, just, until just, someone yeah. could actually Keep keep the boat them. moving until we can make, you know, major modifications. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back to, you know, it was, you know, about this time last year, maybe, yeah, maybe kind of getting into April this year is when they officially added the anti-harassment policy, right? And started putting it up in the locker rooms and stuff like that. And that's something that didn't come out of nowhere, right? That 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 is something that had been 
you know, they'd been working on for a while. And then you think everything that happened because of that policy finally being put in place. Right. I've, I felt like mm-hmm. I, I've, I've explained this to people that were that are asking from the outside. It's like, oh, you know what a horrible year the NWSL had. I was like, I don't think of it as horrible so much as like a lot of that was necessary <laughs> and and long overdue. And sure, it was traumatic and not necessarily the best press, but it's but it's like, but think of all the, the good stuff that's come out of that. You think of, you know, the power that the players ended up having handed to them because of this, right? And that coaches that needed to move on have moved on. And, you know, but the fact that at some point someone's like, hey, we need to have these policies in place. And they, you know, wrote them and approved them and all that stuff. And then, you know, like, like, like the slow payoff. So, you know, I, I think one of the things I have to keep telling myself anytime we have a new person like this come on board, it's like, okay, there's got to be patience, right? It's not like Jessica Berman can come in and flip the switch and suddenly everything's great, right? Um, And we all know um, for anybody that's following the league for a long time, you know, there's a backlog of things that we've wanted to happen or we think should feel have happened. I mean, like, you know, what I'm seeing a lot this week is like, why isn't the regular season schedule out? And it, it even depresses me to say, well, yeah, last year it wasn't out this time either. Cause that's not an excuse. Right. You know, but yeah, it's, it's like patience, patience. We're making progress, you know, got a commissioner again, you know, like got a yeah. broadcast and partner, then- you know, you know, it's just, it's like, but, but we know she's got a big plate of challenges in front of her. So more power totally, to you, totally. Jessica Berman. <laughs> yes. I mean, she already is like walking into a little bit of a dumpster fire. I, I whisper <laughs> that because uh, there's a lot of things like Marla Messing was able to put out a lot of fires, right? She handled the Washington spirit ownership. She handled um, all the allegations and she launched all the investigations uh, by the coaches and, and for player accusations of harassment. So Marla Messing kind of started that ball rolling, but Jessica Berman has to kind of keep it going, make sure all the pieces stay in line, make sure that the open lines of communication are there, that there is transparency, that the players are safe, that the CBA put in place um, for the next five years hopefully has conversations around that because it's not just a signed piece of paper that you close the book and put it in the drawer. There are things that need to constantly be looked at for that and, and making sure that the next five years are ready to go and even more progressed. Um, But having the players involved in the search committee uh, for the new commissioner is huge. It's huge. There are seven of them involved. And as you mentioned, a mix of older veterans, uh, younger, newer players, players with international experience, players with national team experience, players with different league experience that kind of all came together to make uh, the best decisions that they could. And, and one of the players on the search committee, who is the NWSLPA president, Tori Huster, midfielder for Washington Spirit, um, we had a chance to speak with her at Attacking Third. You can also watch that interview. Um, but she was very much saying that they wanted to be involved in the search and they had questions for her. They, there was an overall search committee and that was narrowed down to, I think, four candidates. And that's when the players became involved and said, okay, we want to interview them. We have questions for them. We want to talk to them. They asked them how they would handle certain situations, what their friends would say about them to get to know them on a personal level, how much they're willing to communicate with the players on a firsthand basis. And that's kind of where the communication 
factor came in where Jessica Berman said, you can text me, you can call me whenever you want. I want to have weekly conversations with you. And then it kind of came to terms that it was like, okay, we have a CBA in place. We now we have a commissioner that we like kind of what's next on our place. And can we work with the commissioner to get that done? Establishing um, a consistent broadcast deal where these games are accessible to people in the United States every single match that they can watch with good commentary and making these games available. So the things that are on the docket for the players and for the commissioner and for the league are in such a bigger scope than even you and I can understand. And we're a lot more plugged in than just the fan base is, right? Like, Yes, Tori Huster said, she was like, yeah, we're checking off all of these things, but my list of things that I want done for this league keeps growing. Now we have a commissioner, so we can move forward in these other things, getting deals. I mean, they just signed a huge uh, Delta Airline deal for the league, with which is great, right? That's their first deal with an airline, but it didn't qualify anything about flights for the players or the team. So it's kind of like these building blocks. And now that there is a commissioner in place for four years, which is a long time to try to get things done, hopefully these next steps can start to happen and and the other dominoes can continue to fall for the league and for the players' wants and needs. I mean, it's such a huge step, but it's the first in many, many, many steps. Um, Well, and Lisa, you and I could go on forever about all kinds of different uh, NWSL topics, but (laughs) We're going to cut it off here because I know you have things to do. I have things to do. Um, but I really appreciate, um, you know, you taking the time to talk about Jessica Berman and, you know, the upcoming cup and keep up the great work on the attacking third podcast with Sandra Herrera. Always appreciate listening to you guys. Thank you, Jen, so much. I'm always happy to come on here and chat the great game with you, especially the NWSL. Um, yeah, you'll be calling games too. So check out Jen as well on the analyst call. Um, I'm excited for the season. Let's get it going. Challenge Cup, here we come. 10 days away, less than 10 days away. Woo, let's go. <laughs> Time for a little Jen Splaining. I uh, want to go over silly as it sounds, how to watch, how to follow the upcoming NWSL Challenge Cup. First, the format. We got three groups of four teams each uh, based geographically. Each team will face each group opponent twice, so home and away. So that means each team will have six games total, three at home, three away. So the group winners plus the best performing second place team, those four teams will advance to the semifinals on May 4th. And then the semifinal winners will play in the Challenge Cup final on Saturday, May 7th. That will air on big CBS. So big game that will be. Um, The entire tournament will be um, somewhere for everybody to watch. So I want to break it down into USA, Canada, and everywhere else. So if you're in the U.S., there's a couple games on CBS, a couple games on CBS Sports, everything else on Paramount+. Plus. Um, and I know I mentioned Paramount plus a lot, but I, but I want to reiterate that it's a very cheap monthly fee. And the perk about Paramount plus is the games stay up forever. They don't disappear like on ESPN plus you don't have to record them. Um, they're just there. So every game that 
has ever been shown on one of the CBS channels is still sitting there on Paramount Plus, which I think is really cool. All right. If you're in Canada, it can get a little tricky because a lot of times I know the league says, you know, internationally, but doesn't always mean Canada because of the CBS quirk. So if you're in Canada, games on CBS, it'll be on CBS in Canada. If a game's on CBS Sports, it'll be on CBS Sports in Canada, which can be, I've heard from many Canadians, can be very difficult to access. If a game is not on CBS or CBS Sports, it will be on Twitch in Canada. But if it, but it, if it is on one of those two CBS outlets, you will not be able to get it on Twitch in Canada. That's really the kicker for Canadians. Um, everywhere else, if you're not in the U.S., you're not in Canada, every single game is on Twitch. So hope, hope that helps. <laughs> um, and of course, we've had a lot of roster changes since uh, the, the, the last season ended. Uh, of course, we have two completely new teams. So we had the expansion draft. We had the college draft. Lots of trades. So if you want to get reacclimated with who's on what roster, you can check out my Google sheet of any Bissell rosters by club. If you go to keepernotes.com, click on Wosopedia. One of the top links is takes you to my Google sheet. We'll have final rosters. Um, I think Wednesday the fifteenth. I think that's when we should have them or Tuesday the 15th, anyway, middle of next week, a couple days before uh, Challenge Cup. Um, but the rosters we we have that I've put on the Google Sheet, that's you know pretty close to the final rosters. Uh, of course, some teams might make some final trades, or we might see some finalists, uh, trialists, uh, you know, get their contracts finalized. And hopefully I'll have time to build a standing sheet uh, that I can share with everyone, kind of like I've done for... World Cup tournaments in the past where you can plug in the standings, plug in the scores, and the standings will automatically update. Um, that way, you know, it, it, it can get complicated. You know, it's three points for a win, one point for a tie. Goal differential can come into play. Um, I think it's it'll probably be really close to decide who that best second place team is. But I'm hoping I have time before Challenge Cup really gets going to put that online. So, but so of course, just, uh, you know, pay attention to at keeper notes on Twitter, you know, keep an eye on keepernotes.com. I'll be sure to put it up there. And Hey, if you have a question about challenge cup, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Keeper at keepernotes.com. All right. Jen keeper, the keeper here with my friend, Anna, who is data analyst extraordinaire. How about that for a title, Anna? Used that to work sounds... at CONCACAF, oh. has done a you know bilingual men's soccer podcast. You've been here, there, everywhere. Where are you going next, Anna? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I'm going. I'm actually going the data, the performance data route. So hopefully, you know, it's just the beginning of many, many great things. It's a new sector, at least in soccer. Um, it's been around in other sports, but very excited to, you know, have that transition. And thank you for the <laughs> enthusiastic uh, introduction. <laughs> I really appreciate it. But, so yeah, so like me, here. you're just going to get nerdier as you get older. Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to be unbearable after uh, all the edu- um, continuing education I've been doing. So 
watch out. <laughs> well, we won't get too data heavy with our discussion today, but I wanted to talk to you about some of the clubs, some of the teams rather, in uh, CONCACAF qualifying as you know, we get closer to the CONCACAF W championship that's going to be played this July in Mexico. Um, first time that it's been branded this way, not, I guess not branded this way, but so much the structure of it's both qualifying for the 2023 women's world cup and the 2024 Olympics um, and how they, you know, they broke up all the qualifying into groups for the first time in a long time, Mexico going through this, this kind of pre-qualifying. Um, so of course, Canada, USA, you know, they get an automatic berth to that tournament. The six other teams that we'll see this summer will come from this qualifying that's going on right now. There's six groups and you have to win your group. Um, and I know there's a lot of teams, so we can't talk about all of them, but I wanted to talk about Mexico, Jamaica, and Costa Rica because those are the three teams that have been in the Women's World Cup other than, obviously, USA and Canada. So let's start with the team that's nearest and dearest to your heart, your own Tikas, uh, Costa Rica. Um, they missed out on the World Cup in 2019 after making it to 2015 for the for the first time. They're in Group B. Uh, they're tied for the first first slot um, halfway through group play. What what's up with Costa Rica these days? And obviously, we all know Rocky Rodriguez plays in NWSL. Shirley Cruz did for the last two seasons, but who else should we know about on Costa Rica? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Costa Rica's definitely um, capitalizing on, you know, years worth of investment in their youth, right? So they hosted the 2014 um, U-17 World Cup. So we're seeing a lot of those players come up now for senior national team, like Gloriana Villalobos. Um, she won a natty with Florida State. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, like two ACCs as well. So she's definitely someone to look out for. Uh, as well as uh, Priscilla Chinchilla, who actually plays in Glasgow City. She's, mm-hmm. a, she's a youngster, but uh, with a lot of potential, a lot of talent. Right, another forward, um, Mariana, my, Maria Paula Salas. Right, she, uh, she's currently playing in Italy. Another, um, another player that has climbed through the ranks really, really fast in Costa Rica and, and just excited to see her. And last but not least, uh, um, you know, the infamous goalkeeper, uh, Daniela Solera, she won, she's actually the first and only Costa Rican men or woman to win a Copa Libertadores, uh, with Atletico Huila. So just very excited to see those players, um, flourish and, um, you know, just just see them play on the pitch. They've been working for this for a very long time, and you know, hopefully, uh, they can they can come come home with the with a qualification, right? And yeah, that that's it's going to be very exciting, very competitive. I think um, from the Costa Rica side, and they've certainly benefited from having Amelia Valverde as head coach. I mean, I remember her at the 2016 Olympic qualifying tournament in Houston. Um, but she goes back even further than that, yes? Yeah, for sure. So she, um, if I'm not mistaken, she was the youngest 
coach in the 2015 World Cup in Canada. Uh-huh. Right. She, uh, so she kind of took over um, the previous coaches, uh, I would say, trajectory. And then she was the youngest coach in 2015 World Cup. Uh, she, unfortunately, in 2016, they were not able to qualify for the Olympics, but they did a really, really good run. It was really impressive. They beat um, Mexico for the first time in program history. Uh, they fell short. I think it was like three to one to Canada in the semis but you know at that time also the gap was was much bigger than it is now and right I think yeah I think Amelia I've had the privilege to see how she runs her program and honestly she's super super disciplined and super organized Uh, she cares a lot about the players and she actually does like uh on her off time or whatnot she does like play-by-play with Telemundo so uh, that just goes to show how much time and dedication she puts to the game and she's always watching she's always learning so honestly credit to her and hopefully you know this time around they can qualify because they've been working really hard and 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 yeah hopefully it'll be a, a very positive tournament on the Costa Rica side. Well and I think it's such an interesting mix of being a World Cup qualifying tournament and Olympics where there's more spots for the women's world cup, but you know, it's still a very limited um, slot for, for the Olympics. Um, And I also like how they've set up the qualifying groups to get to this July tournament. Um, Costa Rica in the same group with Guatemala. And clearly those are the the two strongest teams of the group. They also have St. Kitts and Nevis, U S Virgin islands and Curacao. But I love that Costa Rica and Guatemala, they face off. That's the final game, you know, the final matchup for that qualifying because, you know, that will probably decide who wins the group. And, I mean, I haven't even mentioned it yet. This is the first time all of these games, we can watch all of these games on Paramount+. Plus. It just blows my mind. Uh, you <laughs> know, see, last February, every single game put on um, Paramount Plus and not just on there, but also then it's saved on there. So you can go back and watch it. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. Huge, huge. So, you know, so as we mentioned players, it's not like you're not just randomly dropping names here are names where, you know, someone can go, Oh, I heard so-and-so was good and they can actually go watch it. It's not just, you know, Oh, the teams that make the world cup a year and a half from now, suddenly we'll learn who those people are. Right. We can, we can yeah. watch them now. Um, yeah, so then sure. let's also talk, let's talk Jamaica. Um, I know, you know, a lot of those players as you, you worked with them in France and in 2019. And of course they were the Cinderella story of CONCACAF qualifying in 2018. And also the, um, the world cup, um, you know, getting shout outs from, um, totally blanking on his name, you know, the runner, uh, Hussein Bolt. Yeah, there we go. Usain Bolt. I was like, you know, the guy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and obviously, you know, they they had a tough time trying to qualify for for the Olympics. But it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like they have been playing much more regularly than they ever have in the past. And then, of course, we add to that that you've got a player like Bunny Shaw who's getting time in Europe, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Jamaica, yeah, they they're that's another team that you know hits home. I think are they're, they're literally my second family since I did work with them uh, leading up to the twenty nineteen World Cup, and also uh, 
during the tournament. Uh, they they have a they have a, a pretty I would say developed group of players, right? I think when you see Jamaica from the 2018 uh, Kangaroo Women's uh, qualifiers versus this year's this this editions, it's you see where they play now. It's it's incredible. You know, it's it's so incredible how a four year cycle can change you know, careers for so many players, right? You have right. Bunny, we have Bunny playing in Manchester City. You have Alison Swaby, who is, you know, ripping it in and killing it in, in AS Roma. And now she is in Angel City. You have Chinia Lu Asher. You know, she did play in Washington Spirit along with uh, Sydney uh, Schneider and, you know, and the regional champions. And now uh, Chinia Lu plays in... Ike in uh, in Sweden, uh, you have just a handful, like so many people playing Champions Leagues, uh, soccer uh, or football rather, and and also Jody Brown, who last time around she was sixteen and now she's like what eighteen? She still has still uh, in college, <laughs> still in college. Like it's insane, and you know it's 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 a uh, kudos to you know coaching staff that was there before. And it was, it's, it's all about, you know, connections and, and development and just being at the right place, right time, knowing the right people, et cetera. So, you know, something that also helps too, that kind of uh, maybe gets a little bit brushed off is uh, like nationalities, just because Jamaica, because of the situation historically and politically with the country, like a lot of them had to flee or they have a lot of like ancestors that, are either from the UK or from Europe, et cetera. So they have that flexibility, which is honestly incredible. Um, and you see that on the men's side too. So it's just, uh, it's incredible that the Caribbean can capitalize with their diaspora. Um, and you have a, a handful of other Caribbean countries that have taken that similar model, like Dominican Republic is another country that uh, I know we didn't uh, mention it, but, Dominican Republic is is someone or a country to watch uh, just because they have a fantastic program right now in place. So just very excited for that and um, hoping to see them uh, flourish. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, all the last games, which is uh, like the last match day, those are the best games for every single group because it's, right. it's the first seed and the second seed. So... Um, those are gonna that day. Is so it'll be, be just, it'll be Jamaica, Dominican Republic. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'll be Jamaica, Dominican Republic, uh, and, and then just like the top teams of every single of every. Yeah, si- Panama, it'll be Trinidad, Salvador, yeah, yeah, uh, um, Guyana, Trinidad yeah. and Tobago. Um, it's just exciting, hey, honestly. Cuba, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's gonna be such a great match day, and I'm honestly really excited to watch some great football and and you know hopefully a bit more even football so it'll it'll be it'll be great for for the game and and for a bunch of people that now this is accessible in in so many so many countries uh and all across the u.s right it's it's out there it's out there it's saved you know it's a lot of games to watch a lot of you know players to watch out for and, and, and not being played in a really short window that 
yeah. ends up not benefiting the game, not benefiting the players, and then it's all over really quickly. We're having these two windows, the yeah. February window, the April window, kind of encourages these clubs to do a little bit more development, you know, more camps. And and I'm glad you brought up Dominican Republic. Um, I spoke to one of their players last fall, Vanessa Cara, who was at the mm-hmm. time with, with Racing Louisville. And and she said it was completely random that she connected with them that, uh, you know, but they were doing what you were talking about as like reaching out to anyone mm-hmm. in the States, especially, you know, people that play college, just like, hey, do you have any, you know, Dominican hair? ancestry when someone asked her she's like yeah uh, it was just like totally random question that someone hmm. asked her but you know and so in her debut for Dominican Republic she scores two goals last fall you know like yeah I, just, I, I love those kind of stories um that there's just not only more opportunities for these players to play but kind of consistent opportunities I mean e- even on the club side I feel like as the sport has grown over the last 10 years there's more places where your mid-range player can play, you know, there's more places that maybe they're not paying big bucks, but they're paying, right? So these yeah, players, these players sure. don't, don't necessarily have to play on the side of going to school. They can actually, you know, go with a club and it can be their career and it keeps them in shape for their national team. It benefits their national team. These smaller national teams are building a bigger pool of players, um, you know, to, to pull from. And that's, you know, that's really encouraging too to see you know these closer score lines right like el salvador believes wasn't 12-0 it was six zeros you know it's like Mm -hmm. we're seeing we're seeing growth in the game and then of course i also want to ask you about mexico you know obviously the the highest ranked team in this whole kind of pre-qualifying situation um you know we've seen them in several world cups they missed out in 2019 and I remember being frustrated at some of the coverage because there were people saying, well, okay, clearly Mexico's league isn't helping. And I'm like, they just launched the league and it's yeah. for U20 only at the time. Now it's not U20 only, but it's like, yeah, it was like the bulk of their roster in that 2018 qualifying tournament had not come out of the league. Almost four years later, we're in a very, very different place, not only for that league, but for the Mexican national team in terms of, just their pool of players, right? They are unlike these smaller Caribbean nations, they're much less dependent um, than I think than they've ever been on Mexican Americans. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, Mexico in general, men or women, I, I highly commend them during my time working at CONCACAF. I've always noticed, I would always notice that they, they were, they were always on top of the game. They were always uh, trying to, kind of mimic or or take part of the hype that's going on in Europe, et cetera. They have a lot of European players on the men's side. And, you know, with the initiation of this league, they did do it gradually, right? And unfortunately, right. it was just like the initiation phase in 2018. But definitely they did um, apply the same, I would say, uh, strategy for the men's side to the women's side. When it comes to uh, like data, even data analytics, just sometimes facilities depending on the club, but for the most part, um, they do have the same, I would say, um, structure as the men, or I guess philosophy or identity. Just because, um, especially when you see like Rayadas and Rayados, Tigres, and yeah. Tigres, uh, Club León, 
in the Club Leon, etc. You do see um, very similar, I would say, treatment for both sides. I mean, there's still a lot to do when when it comes to certain off the field or off the pitch stuff. But in general, I've seen like, especially they have it's it's kind of not off topic but relevant. They ha- they have a whole building in Toluca just for like analysis, right? So they nice. have like this huge center in Toluca. It's called the Innovation Center, and that's where they run VAR and and they run a lot of the like the statistical stuff for the players. But what I'm trying to get at is that that's so important for the game, just because you know moving forward, technology is just the future of sport, right? Like I said in the beginning, I'm very into this transition and very very pro technology and data, but that does help develop players faster because you find trends and tendencies much faster than if you would with the naked eye. Right. So um, Mexico did definitely benefit from, you know, that in the innovation center from the women's side. And I think, you know, you have uh, the eras from Monica Vergara, you have that you score U 17 group that has been the same pretty much pool of like 30 players that that she would, they're her babies. Right, and then you see them at U twenty, and then you see them at the senior level. At the senior level, it's very unfortunate that you know that group of players did not go to a U twenty World Cup because of the pandemic, which is so unfortunate. But that's something we can't control, or no one could have controlled. But you know, it's the same group of players that have been day in day out with the league. Um, you have that uh, Lincha Cervantes of you know Guadalajara. You have the Monica La Generala, Monica um uh, sorry, Stephanie Mayor, you have a lot of national teams just getting a lot of confidence and a lot of I would say they're they're just more brave, right? Because they're being brave every single day of the week pretty much. Because in Mexico they have the 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 support of fans. They have the support of, you know, the public. And it's I think that's so important. And especially with like soccer culture, it's important for the players to have a lot of people backing them up because they feel empowered. They feel super, you know, fruitful inside that it just wants to make them play more, right? So I think that is a super huge factor of why Mexico has been, you know, doing so well because they just have a league that supports them and they have a, a federation that invests in them. Right. If you can, you can, yeah. uh, they recently played Canada and then they beat Canada. That's in Azteca. That's, you know, that's amazing. It's never been done. And it's, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, Mexico is unstoppable in Azteca, regardless of gender, right. And regardless of yeah. the opponent. So <laughs> it's, uh, no, and, and, and that's, and that's how it, it should be. Right. It should be, uh, you know, this is our house. You don't win in our house and that's it. Regardless of who you are, what your gender is. And that's the kind of uh, culture and mentality and, and just overall feel that they have in Mexican soccer. Right. So, um, when it, when it, with reference to on the pitch stuff, right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. We're not going to get into the off the pitch. Yeah. Stuff. That's, yeah, all, no. that's a whole, it's, whole, it's other topic, whole other issue. Yeah. It's quite unfortunate. And, you know, God bless their souls and, and, you know, hopefully things will 
be better in that country in that regard. But anyway. well, and with I, I just I remember being so impressed when the announcement was made. What about five years ago? A little more, where you know FMF just said, "All right, if you want to be in the top division in men's soccer, you have to add a women's team." Mm-hmm. You know, they they saw they're like, you know, we're only going to get better as a national team if we build our pool, if we make our pool bigger, if there's regular support and we really develop all of the talent that's, that's already here that just hasn't been seen, right. Hasn't, hasn't been yeah. the resource it, it needs. And so I'm really looking forward to watching Mexico this summer. Um, you know, now that we are all those years on from, from this league and now that the league has grown to, you know, it's not an under 20 league. It's not an under 23 mm-hmm. league. Yes. There are foreign players playing, you know, that it's, it's, it's gone through that, that early, you know, evolution and i'm also intrigued you know last team to talk about um you know mexico's final game will be against puerto rico that's the second strongest team in their group puerto rico um you know like some of the other caribbean countries we've talked about you know using either um americans or of course technically if you're from puerto rico you are american exactly Um, (laughs) but, but, but yeah but also i mean like players that are playing in the american college system yeah. You know, so, so we've got, you know, players from Stetson, UC Riverside, Florida State, Florida, Florida National, even have a, you know, a, a player who was um, drafted by the Orlando Pride, Caitlin Cosme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's like definitely, you know, a lot of potential there where, hey, you don't even have to worry about a nationality issue, citizenship issue, yeah. right? Um, because Puerto Ricans are Americans. Um and just, you know, more opportunity to play. And when I look at these clubs, it's like, oh, my God, if they're not in Puerto Rico, they're all in Florida. But it totally makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the the locale and, you know, so I, I hope we see more teams, you know, like that. Like, hey, however we can develop, let's yeah. develop. No, not only that. I mean, it if they play with good players, it'll only incentivize, okay, the local player to play better or to have aspirations to do more, right? So just touching on Puerto Rico, there's actually uh, Nicolette Dressy from, she used to play for, she has like two natties with Penn State and, and, and Florida, Florida State. And Florida State, and she plays for Puerto Rico. She she completely kills it on the field and she was played for the Pride for, for quite a bit as well. So yeah. Um, you're just capitalizing on, on those situations. You also have Cristina Roque, a natty with Florida State, complete brick wall. I, I like that you say a natty. I've, I've never heard that phrase before, Anna. She has a it's, natty uh, with Florida State. Uh, just in case you've never heard that phrase, Anna means a national title. <laughs> a national championship. That's a very Gen Z word. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a natty. I'm like, okay, I knew what you meant, but that was, was kind of cute. Yeah. No, it's a yeah. very Gen Z lots, situation. Lots, <laughs> lots of talent there on those teams where when you think, uh, you know, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, you don't think soccer strength, but because of, you know, um, whether it's the diaspora or college players or whatever, there's a lot of potential there. And like I mentioned before, all of these games, every single one is available on Paramount+. Plus in the U S and then the games just stay there. So even if you didn't watch it live, they're accessible. The same place where let's see 
Champions League, the Arnold Clark Cup, NWSL, the Women's Cup, all those, all on Paramount Plus for the same fee. And I know I sound like a shill, but like, I can't tell you Anna, how happy it makes me that I can just go to Paramount Plus and like see, <laughs> see these things. And it's not like I get frustrated with ESPN Plus sometimes where it's like digging around to find something and then it's gone after a few months, right? And, yeah. and it's also and it's also not the DVR thing. I use Fubo a lot, but if I want to save something, I have to save it and use part of my you know DVR allocation. So props to Paramount. Like this Plus. is also yeah. thirty games window. Yeah. So I yeah, think, like it's it's a lot. It's a lot of games. And honestly, kudos to you know Chief Commercial Officer Comcast who did you know work hard to to bring that to life and hopefully. You know, women's soccer has a home there. They have, like you said, they have a lot of uh, NWSL, Arnold Cup. Uh, they had the AFC qualifiers as well. On yeah, the side. yeah, they have the AFC women's it's, tournament, and of course, they'll have the Concacaf tournament in July. Yes, played exactly. in Monterey. Yeah, yeah. No, That's it's exciting, stuff. and also kudos to CBS for investing in the women's game because it's it's honestly, uh, as I I've, as I've always said, you know, the more people have access accessibility to watch the games the more fans there are the more like little girls when we'll get inspired to you know to see and be like them when they grow up and it ends up increasing the number of and more people uh, want to buy merch exactly. more people talk exactly. about it and tweet about exactly. it and all that good stuff exactly well exactly. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to babble with me about CONCACAF soccer and qualifying and, and other things and many many well wishes for you as you uh pursue your next level of uh soccer nerdiness <laughs> thank you yeah no thank you for having me and honestly um yeah it's it's a fun year it's exciting year and it's just the beginning uh I don't know if it was mentioned, but next year, I guess in two years from now, the Gold Cup for women is gonna it's gonna happen, and uh, they'll have like, yeah, they'll like have, a real tournament have, that's not part of qualifying. Yeah. Its own exactly, exactly, Concacaf Women's Championship. Love. Yeah, so that's really exciting, and I'm just really looking forward to what's to come for the women's game because we we deserve it, and and you know we're here to stay. So hopefully. You know, there's more to come and it's only the beginning. So just really excited. Uh, thank you again for having me, Jen. And hope you, everyone who's listening, has a great day. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First off, in case you haven't already found it or linked to it, um, I do keep a Woso Google Calendar going where I've got all the Challenge Cup plugged in, uh, the Women's Champions League knockout games, the April International matches that have been announced, the dates for Copa America Femenina, the CONCACAF W Championship, uh, College Cup this year, all that, all that stuff. So if you want to link to the calendar, just go to KeeperNotes.com, click on Wosopedia. And the link is on that page for that Google Calendar. And speaking of international friendlies, we do have another window coming up in April. The good thing is the Challenge Cup will not play through that window. So none of the NWSL teams will have to play a Challenge Cup match without their 
international. So in the April window, we know that the U.S. women, they're going to play, um, which of the stons? I can't even remember now. Uzbekistan um, twice uh, on the East Coast. Um, we've got a lot of uh, European qu- World Cup qualifiers. No, yes, World Cup qualifiers. Um, and of course, we'll have more CONCACAF games um, that are qualifiers for the CONCACAF W Championship this summer. And I will, you know, as more of those games are announced, I will plug them into the calendar. And of course, we just got the announcement a few days ago about the new commissioner for NWSL, Jessica Berman, coming out of National League Lacrosse, also used to work at NHL. Um, Sounds like she could be a great thing for the league. Um, If you want to know more about Jessica, I would check out the coverage at Equalizer Soccer, at The Athletic, at Just Woman Sports. Those are my top three for WOSO coverage. Highly recommended. Highly recommended, especially for Equalizer and Athletic um, subscribing uh, totally worth it. And it's, it's a way to kind of put your money where your woso is and, uh, you know, keep those, those institutions going. Last but not least, here's my usual plug for my almanac, which I am struggling to finish. Uh, but I'm getting pretty close, just so many details and, you know, want to get all the, all that data, right. Uh, you can pre-order the 2021 NWSL almanac, which means it's every season from 2013 through 2021. Just go to keepernotes.com. Also have the older almanacs for sale. Also have uh, an almanac that I published in December where it's all of the NWSL finals, including the most recent one. So it's just a focus on the finals. So, hey, if you're a Washington Spirit fan, there's a lot of Washington Spirit content in that little booklet. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. As usual, I want to thank all of my listeners, anyone who follows me on Twitter or who you know, reaches out uh, to say, Hey, this is off on the calendar. This is off on the Google sheet or any of that stuff. Always appreciate the feedback. Big thanks to the beautiful game network for hosting this podcast. And of course, to my producer, Sean, for putting it all together. But now she's anybody's girl.